City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars Working in the Theatre This seminar, Design A warm welcome to the American Theatre Wing's Working in the Theatre Seminars, now in their 25th year, coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. These seminars offer a rare opportunity to explore with the panelists the realities of working in the theatre. This afternoon at the Design Seminar, we are pleased to announce the winners of the American Theatre Wing's Design Award. We will learn something about how they became professionals, their work ethic, and the reasons for being in the theater. We hope that you will enjoy and learn from today's experience. I'm Isabel Stevenson, Chairwoman of the Board of the American Theater Wing, and now I would like to introduce to you our moderators for the seminar, Professor Tish Dates and previous Design Award winner, <coughs> Lighting Designer, Beverly Emmons. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Isabel. Uh, I'm Tish Dace, and I'd like to introduce everyone. On my right is Jules Fisher, who in addition to being a lighting designer, is a producer. He's designed over 150 Broadway shows and won seven Tony Awards for such shows as Grand Hotel, The Will Rogers Follies, Jelly's Last Jam, and bring into noise, bring into funk. He's also won innumerable American Theatre Wing uh, Lighting Design Awards and has just received um, another one uh, as co-designer of Ragtime. And uh, in his spare time, he designs for rock groups such as Kiss, The Rolling Stones, and David Boy, and he's also a magician. <laughs> Sitting next to Jules, is Eugene Lee, who has just received an American Theatre Wing uh, Design Award for his work as production designer of Ragtime. He's also won Tony Awards for Candide and Sweeney Todd, as well as Outer Critics Circle and Drama Desk Awards for the 1995 revival of Showboat. He, his uh, extensive work includes a lot of design in film, and uh, for fun, he's the production designer for Saturday Night Live. Uh, on my far side over here, uh, Mary Peterson is Julie Tamor's associate costume designer on The Lion King. Uh, she tells me she's been uh, designing for about 15, 16 years professionally. She's worked a lot as an assistant and an associate uh, costume designer on Broadway, for instance, for Amadeus, as well as The Lion King. Mm, Arcadia. Uh, Arcadia. Arcadia, excuse me, yes. Amadeus is a little too far back. <laughs> Arcadia, <laughs> I'm dating myself. And uh, she's worked um, in regional theater, uh, particularly around uh, New Haven, uh, where her husband was a student of Ming Cho Lee's, which brings me to Ming, who is sitting next to her. Um, 
Ming has been on the faculty of the Yale Drama School for 28 years, uh, 23 as co-chair of the design department, and he holds there the Donald Owensleger chair in the design department. In the mid-50s, Ming apprenticed to Joe Melsiner, and later he designed for Martha Graham's Dance Company, and he designed um, for 11 years as the principal designer for Joe Papp, both uh, indoors at the Public Theater and outdoors uh, at, in Central Park in the Delacorte Theater. Uh, for Papp, he did 22 Shakespeare plays, uh, as well as work on new shows such as Hair and For Colored Girls. Uh, he has won a, a Tony and a Meharam Award. The Meharams were the predecessor award for the American Theater Wing Design Awards for K2. Uh, Ming is famous or infamous for having designed this enormous mountain for K2. Very <laughs> impressive. Uh, he has just received a special achievement award um, for outstanding service to theatrical design um, by providing assistance to young scenic costume and lighting designers with his annual clam bake, the stage design portfolio review, which is a, both a showcase and a colloquium where top designers and directors see the work of the next generation of young designers. He'll assemble around 50 of them from a, a dozen or so universities, and for two days, uh, they get intensive comment from uh, important professionals. Uh, Donald Holder, sitting next to him, is a graduate of the Yale School of Drama, where he studied with Ming Cho Lee. This is, this is the Ming side of the <laughs> stage. Uh, and he has just uh, won an American Theatre Wing Award uh, for designing the lighting for The Lion King. He sort of swept the awards this year. He won a Tony for that, he won a Drama Desk Award for that, and he won an Outer Critics Circle Award for that. Um, he's worked with Julie Tamar on a number of other shows, including, for example, Juan Darien and The Green Bird. He's designed on Broadway uh, shows like Huey and Eastern Standard and Solitary Confinement and many plays off-Broadway, such as All My Sons, After Play, uh, Spunk, Jeffrey, many shows you've seen. He's designed in many resident theaters around the country uh, as well. And uh, finally, uh, sitting next to me is my co-chair, Beverly Emmons, who lights theater and opera uh, in Europe and all around the United States. She's won a Tony, an Obie, two Bessies, and at least three American Theater Wing Design Awards that I can think of right now for Passion and The Heiress, and uh, for Jekyll and Hyde and When the World Was Green uh, last season. She's an, also an important dance designer. She's wor worked with legendary choreographers such as Martha Graham and Merce Cunningham, and also with legendary figures in the avant-garde theater world like Richard Foreman, Meredith Monk, and Robert Wilson. And in her spare time, she's artistic director of the Lincoln Center Institute. Welcome all. Um, begin by asking each of you what challenges your latest show presented and how you solved them. Uh, Jules, <laughs> you and Peggy both. Right. Uh, I'm speaking on behalf of my partner Peggy Eisenhower who couldn't be here today as well. Um, challenge. <laughs> uh, I, I guess the the fact that there was such a large stage space 
not a dramatic space, but a physical stage space that had to be uh, changed over and over again to provide variety. Uh, it was a, a stage large enough to have 60 performers on at one time. So uh, this large space needed to take on both uh, dozens of different locales and uh, as well as intimate emotional places uh, of, a, of a single performer. And the lighting, I guess the challenge was to make, to make each one of those different and do it in a way that was uh, visually uh, rich and exciting for the audience. Uh, to also, I think another challenge was to find a, a style that could be both period, because it, the play begins, the musical play begins in the beginning of the turn of the century, and at the same time, find a way to make it contemporary. Okay, so those, those are the two things I think of as a challenge. Mm -hmm. Eugene, uh, also on Ragtime. <coughs> the challenge? Okay. What was the question again? <laughs> what problems or challenges or whatever uh, did you face on Ragtime, designing that, that, that entire production? Boy, I don't know. I, I, can't, I, I find it hard. Uh, I think the challenge was getting the job in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I had done a, a, a showboat of, uh, you know, the, the Herald directed and, and I kind of really enjoyed that because I like boats. And then uh, when, when, when I learned when they were doing the second one, uh, you know, um, you know, I just thought they'd just give it to me, you know? <laughs> but it, it didn't quite work out that way, you know? They, uh, they you know, called me up to Canada, you know, and I met the director uh, and, and, you know, had lunch. And, and then at the end of the meal, they said, you know, could you, like designers hate to hear this, you know? You want them to say, you know, yes, but they actually, they said, could you just draw something, you know, uh, draw some little thing up, you know, uh, and uh, knock, my, knock my socks off is what they actually said. So I don't know, I tried to do that, and I, they, they hired me. So that was the hardest challenge. <laughs> That's and then after that, designing a show with that many different scenes was, was nothing at all, a piece of cake. I, I'm only finding my way in this <laughs> kind of theater, you know? It's, uh, it's new to me. <laughs> Okay. Um, Don, uh, on the lighting for The Lion King. Uh. Um, well, I think in a lot of ways, I, I would say a lot of what Jules mentioned about his production is interesting. I mean, I think I had the same kinds of concerns. Again, a very large-scale production with multiple locations. <laughs> it seems like a lot of lighting challenges these days um, are related somewhat to that core issue, which is how to create a, an entire world on stage or s evoke a world on stage with, um, very, uh, with a very kind of open environment or very, uh, uh, with, where scenery is only suggested or um, is fairly minimal. And the Lion King is a, a huge production, but um, it's essentially um, a box, a, a white luminous box in which um, the lighting needed to evoke the, the sunlight the natural light of the Serengeti and also create um, kind of a magical, mythical, um, fantastic place where this fable could um, see, where this sort of passage of um, the mantle from one generation to the next and, and this incredible story could take place. And uh, so the lighting, um, it was a challenge trying to fit all that in 
trying to make it all work and, and trying to stay within Julie's very, very specific um, vocabulary and vision for the piece. And um, it was a lot of fun, but <laughs> a long, long, intensive process. Ming, do I remember correctly that you have a show opening tomorrow in Arizona? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from what are you doing here? <laughs> well, well, so we're glad well, to well, have no, I, you. I usually, uh, uh, since I'm getting pretty old, uh, <coughs> they, they allow me to leave when, when after the first preview. Actually, it went well enough that I left before the first preview. Goodness. What is the show? Uh, Long Day's Journey. Long Day's oh. Journey. Uh, I must say, I agree with Eugene. The hardest thing is to get a job. And he is <laughs> succeeding, and I'm not. <laughs> and, uh, but but I, I think, uh, for me, what's even more important is to remain fresh and, uh, and to have a point of view, to be kind of truthful to oneself, and uh, to, to actually enjoy the work, and uh, to let the play kind of just carry you rather than try to impose something. Uh, and uh, that's not easy. That's not easy. But it's good life. It's good life. It's very rich. Not monetarily, but very rich. <laughs> so that's the challenge. Mary, how about uh, the challenges that you and Julie faced on the costumes for The, uh, the Lion King? Well, I, I think Julie and Michael also, um, I started with them early in the process, so I heard them talk a lot about this, and uh, Julie was facing two very specific challenges. Uh, she had been hired by Disney, they had really taken a chance, stuck their neck out, someone who was very avant-garde, not at all what was expected of Disney, to, to reproduce on stage their baby, their most successful animated feature ever. And so she had to live up to the expectations of some um, very influential producers, Michael Eisner and Tom Schumacher and Peter Schneider. And, uh, and she also, right from the beginning, was determined not to do what anyone expected. She was determined to maintain the actor within the animal character and and so to 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 never lose the actor's face the actor's personality underneath the puppet or below the mask or behind the mask um, I think everyone when they first heard that Disney was doing Lion King expected fuzzy little animals on stage and that was one of the first quotes that we all put up on our board as soon as it came out in the newspaper. There will be no actors in animal suits. Um, because she was very concerned about that, that this was an actor's show. This was about the people and right. not about merely the animals. It was about the story. And the animals were the characters in it. Mm -hmm. And she, she said what attracted her was the uh, humanity. I mean, the fact that at, at the core of the story, it's, it's a very human story, a very human tale. We, uh, we have a guest. I'd like to welcome Mina T. Jahi. Uh, would you like to just walk around a little bit before you sit down and just show everyone? Uh, you have to work for it. Show off the costume. Yes, Wonderful. she's our Sarabi yes. currently. What, Sarabi is, that from? what is the costume from? 
This is the Lion King. This is from the Lion King. And what scene? What are you in that? She plays the mother of Simba. Could I see it again? Could you stand up again? What is it? She plays the mother of Simba and the wife of Mufasa. She is the sort of the queen of the pride of lionesses. The beading on the front of that is just beautiful. Thanks. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Should, should, is that very can we get heavy? a close-up of, of uh, any of this costume work from these cameras? Yeah, she should stand up. Yeah, sta stand up. She's <laughs> 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 not going to let you sit down it's, and it's, it's such beautiful work that, and you know, it's not somebody dabbing paint on something. It's really, no. that's all real. That's all real work. Yes, you got it? Is your headpiece very heavy? No, it's not, and it attaches in the back, and there's a crank. Uh -huh. could, could you sit down and we'll mic you so that everybody can hear this? Her headpiece is um, molded out of carbon graphite. Uh, one of Michael's big concerns on this show was because they would have to be performing eight times a week and they would be in these costumes repeatedly throughout the evening that anything that he was providing for them in terms of masks and puppets would be as light as he could make it to date and he's constantly refining that. But it's a carbon graphite um, mold Julie did the original carving, and then it was molded in carbon graphite, which, I, what is, Michael gets into the ounces all the time. It's maybe like seven or eight ounces. Yeah, you can, it's less, it's certainly less than a pound until we start dragging her down with all of the silk. <laughs> it's this close, it makes you respond to them. Perfect. It really is so Perfect. interesting that there's that much expression. On the map. It's also, if you look at the research of uh, African tribal culture in the Serengeti, um, a lot of the ritual garments and the ritual costume that they wore was, you know, it, it sort of evokes this, or mm -hmm. this is kind of inspired by. Right, that this research. would have been carved wood right. and much heavier for the, <laughs> for the tribal performer. Mm -hmm. So yeah. we tried to give them a break. Wonderful. Have you experienced any kind of difficulties, any sort of technical challenges, just wearing the headgear and dealing with the costume, or is it just easy? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not easy? You can get caught in your silk <laughs> and almost fall. That's happened to me a few times, but I've, I've managed to learn how to walk with the silk and the way that the wind goes through the silk, and they also provide you with mirrors during the rehearsal process so you can see how you need to move and move your arms in order to um, keep the flow of the costume without tripping yourself up. And as well as there are tears that come out of the eyes that they can get tangled once in a while and you can be caught on stage with one tear in and one tear out. So that happens periodically. You were also talking earlier about learning that your head gestures could be different than what you might normally make if you were unencumbered right. on stage. For instance, if I just look a little to my right, it's so large with that, the headpiece on that I had to learn to make my movements very subtle or else it could be just, um, just too much, really, from the audience. Mm -hmm. How many dresses are needed backstage for that? Oh, gosh, Sheila. How many yeah. of you are there? There are about 21. Oh, 17 now. We started with a larger number in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. uh, because it was a brand new show and we really had no idea how we were going to accomplish this. Um, but we've narrowed it down and I will brag a little bit now that we have New York dressers. We were able to also make it a more efficient process. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. 
How many costumes are there for the 17 dressers to be putting on and off of people? I think there are about 245 costumes, yeah. yeah. How many do you wear? Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, I would say hyena, flower, uh, six. Six, yeah, I yeah. think. I would guess. So the, the head stays and new new pieces change, or oh, no, is there, no, no, there no, are no, six no. different? No. This she, is her only appearance as a lioness. Mm -hmm. I see. This is when you appear as other characters. Yeah, right. other costumes. She mm -hmm. would appear. Yes, Sarabi only. This is the image for Sarabi. So, this okay. is. We have an unusual show in that our principals don't have all the costume changes. There's one look for Mufasa. There's one look for Simba. You know, etc. Yeah. It's the poor ensemble that suffers through rushing around backstage and, you know, throwing off one thing and dragging on another and hoping mm -hmm. they make it to stage in time. Mm -hmm. So. Did the dressers have to learn special skills to help people with all of the, the hard puppet and stilts and uh, <laughs> elaborate? We should. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we have. Um, uh, Cal Anderson is our wardrobe supervisor, and he, when he was interviewing crew, uh, instead of the expectation that they would have a lot of stitching skills and mm. the traditional skills needed backstage on a wardrobe crew, we were looking people who had their own toolkits mm -hmm. and <laughs> who could lift heavy things. <laughs> you know, so mm -hmm. slightly different job description on this show. And high energy. Yes. And good disposition. I will say we have a wonderful, wonderful cast and crew, and just it's it's such an ensemble that the show really depends on that. And uh, you can feel it. That's been important to everyone involved. Yeah. I think yeah. I expect for you too. Yeah. How do you get up to the top of Pride Rock in that outfit with that on your head? Practice. <laughs> <laughs> the first time up, um, I think I left no blood in Mufasa's hand, <laughs> but um, it's, it's balance. You go up a few times, um, just regular clothes, then you add the costume, and then you add the baby. Right. And, uh, and it comes out of the, the basement. So the rock not only lifts, but it spins as and rotates as you're, as you're, as you're walking up it. Okay. So, <laughs> practice. It's extraordinary, yeah. really extraordinary. I'm going to go back to lighting, if I may, Kish. You said, you said something about style in lighting. What does that mean, style in lighting? You have to find a style for the right time in all of this. What, what do you mean by style? Uh, lighting is often thought of as just illumination. Mm -hmm. uh, putting light on a stage so that you can see people, so you can see the actors speak or see the scenery, but it's applied uh, with more artistic uh, levels than that. Uh, it, it, lighting, theatrical lighting, is uh, more artistic than engineering. It isn't providing only a certain amount of light so you can see someone, it's how do you see that person so that uh, uh, you could say a style of lighting, uh, the turn of the century was probably very flat. Uh, light came from the front, either from footlights or lights mounted on a balcony rail, a, a low position in the theater. So everyone was seen, but the lighting was flat. It had very little shadow. It had very little chiaroscuro. So a style would have been to add backlight. 
so that people are now seen in, in, with greater dimension. Uh, another, I, I think the word style is probably the same in any art form, whether you think of style mm -hmm. and as how, what's the difference between a one painter's style and another painter's style. I think that would apply to the lighting designers. To what extent are you using light to affect our mood and to affect us emotionally as opposed to illuminating? Uh, it's a huge element. Not a lot. Uh, I, I think it's probably the biggest uh, of all the, uh, of the functions of lighting, if, if they are to, to be able to see so you have enough brightness so that you see people. Uh, probably the most important function would be to evoke a mood, to create a feeling of something. It's not just uh, to picture people uh, in a certain setting, but it's to picture people as they would feel in that setting. There's a, a famous uh, quote of Adolf Appiah uh, that, that it's not to light a person so you see that person standing in a forest, but to make the audience feel as if they were standing in the forest. What would that actor feel like if he were standing in the forest? So that uh, uh, the, I think the, the, ma the major element is to try to evoke a mood throughout the play. How do you change that? How do you, how do you make them, if the, if the actor wants to uh, portray something about sadness, how can you pick the right color that will say something about sadness? Or what is the angle of light that will make you feel more sad than another angle of light. So the tools of lighting, each one is uh, analyzed or dissected to say, does this evoke the mood that the director and that the playwright want to express at that moment? Uh, it, is, it is really all about feelings. It's much less about intellect. Uh, so that when, when you leave the theater, you want to, as a lighting designer, you want to have contributed to the audience saying, I felt something. I was moved. I was emotionally involved because the lighting helped to do that. You have something to say about that? I agree. I think that uh, by nature, the reason that lighting is such a powerful emotional tool, really, or a component of a theater experience is that we're all very sensitive to light in nature. I think that we respond to the way that we have a very kind of a subliminal emotional response to different light in the world. And I think um, that uh, lighting designers often study the way light functions in the world and, and sort of store that in their visual vocabulary and, and pull it out at times to really apply it to a moment or uh, a, a, a section of a piece or somehow that um, there, the light in the world it, it, provides tremendous inspiration, at least for me, and I know others, um, in the work that we do on stage, because um, we, we respond to light um, in, the, in the most basic kind of psychological way. And so what the lighting designer does is um, very powerful, and, um, and as Jules says, it's very emotionally based. Well, and I think that, I don't know if, if John and Ming would agree with this, but I think as designers, as costume and set designers, we are totally dependent on our lighting designer to finish our work for us. And a good lighting design can make a good costume or a good set better, and bad lighting design can absolutely destroy it. So, you know, the relationship is, is really important, and these are, the, these are the people that really 
pull it all together for us. I was saying that I had seen something last night, and my first reaction was how disappointed I was in the lighting design because I was looking at scenery that had real promise and costumes that I thought were lovely. And I thought the and lighting design, I absolutely <laughs> won't, but I, I thought it was a, a, a big miss. I thought that the lighting design had really changed so much about how I felt about what that production should have been. I was going to say one other thing. One of Ming's colleagues, uh, Jennifer Tipton, who teaches at Yale, my, my former teacher, um, said a very, had a very apropos statement. She said that... Um, 99% of the audience is unaware of the lighting, but 100% is affected by it. And I think that's um, very apropos. Oh, no. I, I think the lighting is actually the glue that eventually put everything together, including actors so far. Without lights, you won't see anything. And, and, and that, so there will be nothing. I, I, I just like to being a teacher, so I, I can't stop talking. Uh, a lot of people feel that us designers are essentially problem solvers. And, and I think that is a little bit misleading. Mm -hmm. the, the challenge seems to be solving problems. Uh, uh, I think we are actually problems creators to be solved. <laughs> because it's all about ideas. It's all about how you instinctively, impulsively relate, connect, with the piece of work. And therefore, the directors, the actors, designers, are really problem creators. If you don't create problems, there is no problem to be solved. Mm. And I think this is something that's, that, that in, uh, once you start thinking that way, you kind of free yourself from, from solving problems. And, uh, and, and to be a director, to be a dramaturge, to, to, uh, how, how do you read a play? And there is this vision, there is this goal, there is this connection, and you have to somehow do a transformation from words into life, into imagery, into human events. And you have to get there, and that is creating problems. And I think that makes, makes designing a much more exciting work and, and life because we are the uh, we are the problem creators, and then we solve them. And one of the things I remember from graduate school was um, there are no problems, just solutions. That was a big watchword of <laughs> What did you study in school when you decided to be a lighting designer? Well, uh, were you an engineer first? Or I was what a forestry major. I, I <laughs> <laughs> we knew it was something. <laughs> I got a bachelor of science degree in forestry. Um, at the University of Maine, but of course I was always interested in, in lighting and um, it was, I mean it's just um, as anybody does, I mean we all have, especially when you're a teenager, you have a lot of interests and um, forestry being in the outdoors was one and theater and lighting actually was, was a, ver a very big interest of mine from an early age because my parents took me to the theater um, starting when I was very young and a lot of uh, and I remember a lot of productions that, that I saw were, were kind of pivotal and kind of for some, for some reason really affected me and, and really inspired me to kind of pursue the profession I eventually have um, been able, fortunate enough to be a part of. I mean, so it's, um, 
It's something I've wanted for a long time. And, and eventually, the more I worked in the profession, the more I realized that I didn't know enough, that I was operating completely on instinct. And that's it's when not I... not a bad thing. Yeah, no, I mean, I think what, what my training did... I mean, I thought that, event, that I needed to get some formal training. And I think what the, 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 the core of uh, my training at Yale was um, learning how to work, learning a process, um, a, applying a structure to the creative process. and figuring out how to really approach a play in, um, in a more kind of disciplined way, not, not, not in a scientific or engineering kind of point of view, but really sort of doing work that's coherent, that's cohesive, that's somehow unified and related completely to the text and the production. And so um, um, I, I was fortunate enough to study, go to graduate school, really because I recognized my own shortcomings. And um, that's... That's pretty much my training. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to speak to the style issue and lighting a little bit, uh, because at the very beginning of my career, there was a very specific uh, problems, if you like, that were being posed by a group of creative people now, sort of we know as, as the avant-garde, whatever that means. But it meant something quite specific in terms of lighting. and. Um, uh, Licos had been invented. Uh, a lot of exploration had been done through the 50s. Uh, in modern dance, Tom Skelton and uh, Nick Cernovich were, were, were exploring very richly colored environments uh, because the new equipment could take strong color. Uh, and, and there was, on a Broadway also, there was a vocabulary that included a lot of color. And, and a lot of the people that I began working with, all of them separately, they each thought they'd invented it on their own. Uh, Meredith Monk, uh, Robert Wilson, um, Joe Chaikin, all these people wanted white light. It was, it was a, a whole thought of that light should be plain, not glamorous clear, white as in, is there gel in that light, please take it out. Good, white, good white, thinking, clear. Very, very, very clear, simple, but of course they also, they also took, and, and they wanted something that was sort of plain, not dramatic, but then the rigidity of that, of the idea of saying, well then why not have just a fluorescent light? Why have Lico's at all? Why have stage lights? Except if you go to light a play and you have only a fluorescent light on, that becomes extremely dramatic and powerful. That's not plain and unglamorous anymore. It, it goes, beca because we don't expect it on a stage, it becomes a, a, a stronger statement than one thought about when one said, well, let's just have a plain fluorescent light. And, and this is an example, I think, of, of a sort of a break with the past definition of style that was articulated at that time. I think they explored it in their fullness, and w we've let it go as not, an, as not an interesting problem anymore. We've solved it many different ways, and we've taken what we've learned back in to serve the center, which very often happens in the avant-garde explorations. It, uh, it, it's a, it waxes and wanes, and, and at the moment, that's, that's been understood and used. But it's an example of... of, uh, of uh, can can I add a couple of thoughts about style related to that? Uh, uh, as Ming would say, it, it comes from presenting a problem and then trying to solve it. Uh, I don't think you want to... I, I often argued at that, in, those, in the, that era with those who would say, well, we're going to do it with just white light. I, I'm, there's nothing wrong with that at all if that's what the play demands. If this play should be done in white light. Right. Uh, or if this play should be done with all light from the rear. But it's the play itself, I think, clearly would, you'd say, it should tell you whether it should be one style or another. Right, right. And uh, 
there, there's a whole idea of having style, and, uh, just a comment about that in general, it, which is I'd like to think that I don't have a style, that I will pick or use the style that's necessary for that production, and not that I would do, I will always have this kind of light or that kind of light. Right. Uh, and as far as, the, and I know uh, Eugene will have we some strong, agree. we don't agree, we don't agree about this, but I think in the case of color, there are shows, I've done some shows with absolutely no color whatsoever. The red thought, light is very good though. The red. <laughs> see, the good thing about jewels, see, the good thing about jewels, you know, is that you say, yeah. Lighting is bunk these days. It's all too technological. Yeah, but the, the, the uh, you know the great thing you know about jewels is you say you know we have this idea. Could we have this really like red light? You know, look a little flash. You know, boom. You know, right? Then the next day comes these huge instruments. It costs thirty thousand dollars. It's as big as a wall. You know what I mean? And when it flashes, you know, it's like the biggest flash you've ever seen. It has a cable going into it this big. It was spectacular. I saw that. It's very beautiful. But we're talking again about mood. What is this nonsense about? The, I, I don't understand this panel. I mean, I, I'm, I'm getting confused. You know what? I mean, you know, I'm just a funny guy from Rhode Island. You know, I mean, and I, I've worked for the same theater for 35 years. Probably a flaw. You know, a character flaw. And I think <laughs> I, I, I did that because you know, you know, I mean, I thought we had a style. You know what I mean? And, and I, uh, you know. Well, I Eugene, know. I stopped talking about style because I don't understand I'm confused. It. I, I, I don't, don't think any, it. See, I, I guess I'm the, I, I, it's all this, this, this nonsense about what it looks like. Who cares what it looks like? I mean, I hate that. You know, it makes me crazy. Well, if you don't care, what do you? Yeah, I don't care about what it looks like. It's the process that's interesting. It's the process that's interesting. A resident company is interesting. Seeing the same actors, you know, year after year do different, this is interesting to me. I mean, you know, you know. So, so I, you, you know, you know. I, I can't, so you, you, know, you have to, you have to wander so, so into New York. They don't so so you, you have a yeah. problem with imagistic exactly. theater like Robert Wilson. I, I, all I know, I don't know him. I, I, I don't only have, I, I saw, I was in, working for Peter Brook in, in France, and, yeah. and a group of us, after having some pot or something, went over and saw Death, death Man's glance. You know what I mean? It went, and it was the fun, it was the greatest thing I ever saw. The French sat there very quietly looking at it, you know, and, and but it was, remember that's the one with the, the nannies that danced out and had the big uh, turtle with apple. <laughs> it's great. It's fabulous. It's fabulous. But we, I, may I interject? <laughs> yes, when you, say, when you say it's the process, but is the process about so, uh, something that you end up with that an audience then sees. Yeah, they're not going to buy tickets to a process. They yeah. buy tickets to the, what, what you finished with. The process is what you, what you do before the audience walks in. Now, you might make, a, if you have a, a, a valuable process or an interesting or enlivened and encouraged and, 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 and powerful process, you might come up with a better product than somebody else. That's where pro process is important, but that's not what the audiences are ultimately and buying I think tickets to. We're also, I think that we're faced with uh, restrictions in what we do. We're faced with limitations, and I think that particularly lighting designers in terms of time, space, budget, I mean, we have to face those realities because of the way theater works in this country. We don't have a lot of time to for a piece to evolve, which is He was in the theater every day. <laughs> he never left. Except, well, ragtime. But even ragtime, even it's a true. production of that scale and scope, I mean, you have to make decisions early on. And my point is that I think that what lighting designers do is we have to come up with a vocab like a visual vocabulary for a piece right. that's based on the 
division of the overall production, what the, what the play is, what the director, how the director sees the play, what the set design is, that there's a specific visual vocabulary which can be shaped and changed and, and um, it can evolve somewhat. But it can be romanticized and sweetened, it can be sharpened right. and, and hardened. And it goes way beyond just yeah. um, front light and back light, light yeah. that provides basic illumination. But, but that's kind of how you develop a quote-unquote style for a Since piece. you both represent two big shows that are here, how does it come about? What, what is the process? You're there to not only create a mood, but also to have us look at the costumes and the sets. Which comes to you first as the lighting designer? Do you first, get they have to get smart. When do you get <laughs> We have to get And when do you ask to light these costumes or to light this set? What's the process there? Do well, you, I think that, that you have to, the, the first step is always is connecting with the material, is, is becoming familiar with the piece and understanding the piece and understanding how the light will function on a certain level in this, in this production. And then from there, you go through the process of uh, developing your vocabulary, your ideas, and carving out the space in a way and um, creating, locating lighting it within the, the frame of the, the production. And then um, things like costume, costume palette and scenery palette and everything informs all of your choices, informs the kinds of color filters you'll use, the kinds of colors you use, the, the overall palette. But uh, I think that you know, our work is, as Jules said, is um, really aesthetically based as well. I mean, the first thing we do, just like every other artist involved with the production, is really communicate with the rest of the creative team and read the play and really understand the production, and then we can go on and do our work. Well, and as an outsider to the lighting process, what I've observed both Jules and Don do, so much of their process is in the theater once all of us are done with our creative part of it. You know, we've designed the costumes, we've designed the scenery, now we're just fixing things and fine-tuning it and whatever. But but the lighting designer, no matter how many plots they've drawn, no matter how many plans, no matter how many instruments they've ordered and how many gels they've chosen ahead of time, a lot of it doesn't really happen until they get into the theater right. and they're sitting there with the director at their side. I always have an image of, of that, that scenery and costume designers get a chance to be by themselves, draw something and say, I don't like that. Okay, lighting designers, lighters, <laughs> lighting designers do that in public, and that's the important thing. Lighting designers do that, I don't like that business, oh, yes. in front of everybody. Yes. And you have to get past that real quick to something that you do like, but, but you don't have, have the luxury of, of sleeping on it, coming back in the morning necessarily, which one does in the privacy of one's office. Yeah. That, that, that makes for one of the difficulties in the theater for a lighting designer, is that we have to have the opportunity to fail. Mm -hmm. As you say, with, with the... With a costume sketch, you can throw it away before you've shown it to the director. Right. Right. For the most part, we put something up there on the stage, and we look at it, and we say we don't like it, but everyone is seeing it. Right. And, then, and, and right. immediately they come up to you and say, we don't like that, <laughs> before we've had a chance to say <laughs> so we don't usually, like it. Usually the TD promises you time to try that right. out, but you never, no, get no, it. No, you never get How it. How expensive is that when you say no? Hmm? Well, it, it's expensive, and just every minute in the theater is, at least in the professional theater, the commercial theater, it's expensive is expensive because uh, there are a lot of people on salary every hour, and 
you have a deadline, you want to get to a preview or a dress rehearsal or an opening night, and uh, every hour, hour is valuable because all departments want to use that time. It's not the salary people that are the problem, it's those hourly people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but also, you know, we have to kind of uh, figure, figure out space. I mean, we have to be able to, um, prior to beginning the process in the theater, the uh, lighting designer really if the lighting designer hasn't really figured out where the positions are, how the light will work within the rest of the scenic environment, um, there's not a lot of uh, leeway there once you get into a theater. I mean, you have to make a lot of decisions up front. So, um, I mean, you can reject a certain amount of your ideas when, once you begin the process of technical rehearsals, but a certain amount you're committed to. Um, and that's, the, the, I think, one of the most stressful part of the job is. The process you're describing um, of the costume designer and the set designer doing their work and then the lighting designer coming in is, is not quite what I see in, in some elements of ragtime because many of the pieces of the set in ragtime actually have lights on them. Presumably, the two of you coordinated that, or did you go out and do your own lighting on the set, Eugene? What, you mean the practical lights? Yes, um, the, the light, the lights on uh, the the uh, the boats at the beginning, where you see the the lights in the sails when the sailboat well, is upstage, and throughout yeah. the show, there's a lot of that. More well, than uh, in most well, first of all, yeah, Eugene is a lighting designer, by the way. You know, is um, not by some, not by your terms. Yes, are you sure you are. <laughs> And, uh, Does that mean Eugene, he put his own light? He on did. The he, we got sketches from Eugene, and they would say a light here, and then I would find. I in that case, I was serving Eugene just to provide the right size light bulb or how to get it there, uh -huh. how to get the wire there, or I might suggest a place. But you suggested almost all of them. Now I, I want to go back for a second to Eugene and let Eugene talk a little more about his <laughs> yes. his bluffing about this process, because the result is a wonderful design. You yes, you go through a process. But you're, the set for Ragtime has moments of, of brilliance. And, and you, it isn't about the, the audience doesn't see the process. The audience sees the result of the process. Guess. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> you want to show the model? No, no. Well, oh, yeah, you're talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is yeah. your cue. This Can is we your see cue. the model? Do you have a model with you, Eugene? Yes, I have a model. <laughs> I'm sure that Jules would be happy to uh, help you. No, Bring it over here. Use that one. Use okay, I'm going to carry the whole thing for you. Yeah, well, I hand it. It's too good. Let's see, so let's see. Oops, I can't walk. Yeah. There you go. Now, this is just part of it. Oops. I'm nervous, Ming, because Ming doesn't generally like my things. It makes me really uneasy. We'll get Ming's critique cool. later. <laughs> It's in print. <laughs> the, uh, 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 now, uh, the, it's okay. You didn't read it. <laughs> it's from my book. The, no, the, it's okay. Why, why, don't we, why are we doing this for? This is, um, tell us guys. What is. Tell us what it is. Tell us what it is. Yes. No, no, no. See, see. The, actually, the, the thing that's interesting, you see in the Times, see, it's not about, uh, I don't, uh, uh, I 
This is what is what, what is this? What is what this, this oh, this is this 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 is uh, some silly uh, thing. You know, this is like uh, <laughs> no. This, this in, in the Times the other day. You see, in Saturday, last Saturday's Times, someone wrote in. A, they said, why don't they just rebuild Penn Station? Because there was an article in the Times saying. Amtrak, now that they're putting in the fast speed train, they're going to really fix up Penn Station a little bit because it's looking a little bad, you know, all of this construction going on, and they're going to get rid of the handrails of the original station, you know, and I thought to myself, oh, great, you know, they never seem to get it, you know, I mean, now we're going to get rid of the one little moment that's left of the old Penn Station as you go down to the tracks, you know, and un under that floor is certainly the original floor, you know, so uh, anyway, uh, uh, you know, it, but... Uh, I don't know. Ragtime was simple. I mean, ra ragtime. Ragtime. The producer said. Uh, the producer said. Uh, you know. I don't know. Um, which set is it? This is ragtime. for ragtime. It's a little piece of Penn Station. You know, tries tries to be a little. It fails, right. but it tries. To be, and and it's not. Uh, but it, it, it tries to be a little a piece. Uh, you know. And I don't know. Yeah. Oh, there's a piece missing. Yes. Can oh God. See, the only things that interest me, but see, I, I, it doesn't have anything to do with this nonsense. You know, I'll demonstrate, you know. Uh, the, uh, uh, see, it's like, and, and, it, and it's not my idea. It's probably, it's the, the probably no original ideas, you know. I mean, I, I was, uh, years ago, I don't know when, a long time ago, uh, a, a, a director I still work for, uh, one of those experimental guys with a white light, uh, Andre Gregory. Right. We're doing a new play. He right. takes about five or six years to get his plays on, you know. He, you know, it takes a lot. We're working on one now. Uh, so, but he, he had said, you know, go, go to the Berliner Ensemble. This was when the wall was up, you know. The wall was up, you know. And, 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 and so I, I thought, great. So I went, you know, and it was pretty interesting. I'm just a boy from Wisconsin, you know. And I mean, you put your little passport in the slot, you know, and they took it away and all that at that time. Was it scary? Very scary. You never thought you'd get it back. And you had to spend, and you had to, me, you had to spend, me, you had to spend so much money in East Germany. This is how the world has changed. Anyway, so one of the shows they do were on the repertoire. I mean, I'm a regional theater guy. I mean, New York, I feel uneasy just being here. Okay, so, so you know, they were doing St. You're looking at me all the time. They were doing St. Joan of the Stockyards. You may know that play. At the end of the play, there's a wonderful image that, you know, they push you up on the platform and there's like capitalists, you know, like J.P. Morgan and holding her up, you know. And there's a little, the platform is about, oh, I don't know, seven feet high, has a little higher than this, about this size, though. And then at the very moment at the end of the play, the little violence falls away and all the proletariat is beneath holding it up. It's a wonderful little kind of simple. You're telling us you stole that from the Berliner Ensemble. No, I thought when, when we got to this, you know, there was this kind of moment, you know, where we had to have J.P. Morgan stroll on and, and there, there was all this struggling about the east side, uh, you know, and so, so, you know, we just had this little bridge, you know, just come down and, 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 and uh, you know, just crush people, you know? It was fun. You know, it was just kind of a wonderful image. I didn't, the rest of it, who cares how it was done? I mean, see, it's kind of like, see, it's, it's not so much what it looks like with me. It's what, it's, that's why I didn't want to bring it out. I mean, this is, you know, this was actually two studies done for two different stairways for sightline problems or some boring problem. Uh, uh, one is New York and one was Chicago. Los Angeles, I forget. But the, the thing is, like, in, 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 in that 
show you didn't like uh, the the, sh uh, showboat. the showboat. Yeah, the, the but I do like the that. theme park. Yeah, theme the theme park. park. The, so the, you did read it. I read it. Yeah, I, I wrote I, a letter. I, of someone apology. called me up. Someone <laughs> called me up. Okay, but that's okay. I like the theme park approach to it, and, and the uh, but in that you see it had it, the way I think at least you see it had a funny. There's a couple. There's one thing in this show too I like. Little things, you know. It's um, it, it's like uh, uh, in, in there we had to uh, had a little transition, you know, problem, and Harold was insisting I would have to solve it, of course, and 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 so we had to get the little kitchen on. So so we had the company come out and they they pulled up a, a just a big cotton big muslin drop with cotton fields painted on, it, you know, and then. You know, that hid the little scene change behind. And then blacks came on, they pulled it down and tossed it into a cart, and then they pulled the set down, and all the critics loved it. You know, they all meant so much, you know. But they, it, I, I love, you know, but it has nothing, it was wonderful, you know. I mean, it, I don't know, it really, um, see, it's, for, for me, I, I, I get confused by this. I, I didn't want to come on a panel like this. See, I, I'd actually heard, were you the one who said someone walked off the panel? Somebody no. said. No, no. I, what I, was the story? No, we were, we were talking about what would happen if somebody had to leave before we were oh, done. And whatever. we thought maybe we'd just create a scene <laughs> oh, and somebody oh, would I walk see. out no, no, of the box. I'm not good at this. My life is I'm very glad you're here. But I'm confused. Yes. I think you protest too much. But I'm delighted that you're here. Me too. Why does the clock have no hands in Penn Station? More to the point is why is the clock incorrectly done uh, uh, um, because yeah. it, we realized you see it, it, it much more to the point because you know we the clock <coughs> you understand you, you, you something you know one two Roman numerals right on a clock face when you get to four four lines okay it's not like one V on a clock face, they use four lines. So, did you know this? Look at the next, look All around clocks. the clocks. It's, yeah. a, it's incredible. Four dashes. Four We're dashes for four. Oh, right. Because the way it falls, the way it falls on yeah. the dial, right. you know, it's, right. uh, you, you get confused, you know? Right. Yep. I didn't know that. I guess we, we had all the research. Yeah, no, you know? <laughs> you get it up in the air, you start getting the letters, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, the clock had no face. I don't know, we, we didn't want to have a, you know, who wants to look? Uh, I don't who know. noticed that? I want to know who noticed that. I think that's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> a wonderful man, a wonderful lawyer from oh, Connecticut yes. saw the picture of the, the set was in the New Yorker. Uh -huh. and, and there was a picture of the set, not a very good photo, but, but okay, uh, but, but, but a very good photographer. Uh, a very nice man, uh, and, and, but, but so that the clock was nicely seen. So the, the moment uh, you know the letters came, and he was the one who. So knew we said we, we changed it. We set someone up, and they changed it. Oh Got some stage hands. Today, because the wing is interested in in creating new people for the theater and, and, and all its aspects, that I'm I'm so pleased at what you're doing. Would you elaborate a little bit on your clam bake, which is not a clam bake? Well, uh, has yeah, anyone come I, I, out I, of it? How I, many? I feel, I, feel I have said it all, but I, I, I like to say, uh, 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 you know, all of us like things and dislike things. The one thing that one learned to do is not to talk to a reporter when, when, when you have an opinion to express and now it's in print and then embarrass the hell out of me. But anyway, uh, 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 and, and 
so I, I quickly wrote a letter of apology to Eugene. But at that time, you didn't read it. You wrote me back saying, what the hell are you talking about? But, but anyway, uh, I also must say that it makes me very nervous with all this design talk. Me too. Very nervous. Uh, uh, doer is not talking. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, not nervous. only that, uh, when you reduce to design talk, it's all about how to. Mm. And what we are really interested in as design is what and why. And I think that is at the gist of what theater is all about. How to, you have to have it, you have to have the skill, you have, then you do it. But what is difficult is the what and the why. Is it worth doing? What is it all about? We are all about context. Without context, what is theater? Theater is about life. It's about human events. And so, in some way, if you talk about design, theater, lighting, eventually you have to talk about theater. And why is it there? Is it worth doing? And therefore, is it worth designing for? Uh, I always feel that we are, we are people who do an act of transformation. All we have is words. And with directors and actors, they transform words into real people, engage in the real human events, and experience to be shared with audience. And is it worth sharing? Is it dangerous? Does it offend people? If a theater doesn't offend people, that's a political statement and I think it's pretty tepid theater. And probably it's not worth doing. And so there's so much to talk about. And the how-to, you can learn any time. You can learn it at age 68. And perhaps at say, age 78, you, you may do something that how-to will, and you will continue to learn. But the what and the why. It's something that needs to be nurtured, to make people aware of. And that means that you, and I love mixing around with people who are younger than I am, and to know what's in their mind, what bothers them, to encourage them to have something to say. And this is the country and if we don't do something about it, this is a country, still, it allows you to say anything. You go to China and you are in trouble. You say anything and you will have Tiananmen Square and 4,000 people later and they still don't care about human rights. So in some way, coming back to the clan bake, I am... I, what I feel important is to gather people together and talk about the what and the why. And then, is there the skill or something that gets in the way of able to articulate the what and the why? And that is what the clan bake is all about. And I feel that, uh, uh, very selfishly, I found that if I'm strictly teaching at Yale, and all I see are the Yale students' work, then I'm isolated, and this is a big country. 
And I just simply would not allow myself to be isolated. So, selfishly, I would like to see people <laughs> from another school, other schools. And I have to tell you, I steal a lot of ideas. <laughs> but then you're saying for the what and the why, are you getting back to the word, that that's the important thing? Well, I guess, well, words, music, and the what. What is the action? What is the human events? And, 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 and I, you know, in the old days, uh, uh, I now remember that I actually was the first Maharam Award receiver, and big deal, big deal, big deal. Uh, 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 I, if I designed the way I did in 64, I should be shot, because, you know, it's, uh, it, it, and, but the thing is, now, and in the old days, I keep talking about sculptural, material, blah, 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 blah. And now, what I enjoy is when suddenly I'm stuck and I'll read the play again. You know, we've, the American Theatre Wing seminars have focused on the um, performer, and it's on, on the playwright and the director and the choreographer and the producer and how you produce a show. And today's seminar on the design has been one of the most interesting and fascinating ones and thinking ones that we've had. And without the people that are on the panel today, there really would be no theater, despite what you're saying about how important the play is. It's, it is only as important as you make it come to life for the audience, because without it, it's that flat, lighting that you've talked about and I can't tell you how grateful I am to you for coming to the wing seminar and sharing this knowledge with you you know that the American theater wing is is more than a sponsor of seminars and more than our famous Tony Awards which is created for excellence in the theater we are an organization whose year-round programs are dedicated to serving the theater and the community with the goal of developing new audiences and new people coming into the theater. And to achieve that goal, we have created development programs for students like Introduction to Broadway, which began seven years ago and has enabled more than 70,000 New York City high school students to attend the Broadway show, for many of them for the very first time. And through our newest program, Theater in Schools, theater professionals like the people that you've seen on these panels go directly into classrooms to work with and talk to students about working in the theater. In addition, we have our hospital program, which uh, dates back to World War II and our legendary stage door canteen. And today's version of the program uses talent from Broadway, off-Broadway, and the cabaret world to entertain patients in nursing homes, veterans' hospitals, children's wards, and AIDS centers in the New York area to bring the magic of theater to those who cannot get to the theater itself. We are proud of the work we do and happy for a wonderful working relationship with the theatrical community. We are grateful to everyone who makes what the theater wing does possible. And now, 
I'd like to thank you once more on behalf of the American Theatre Wing. I'm Isabel Stevenson. I'm chairman of the board of the American Theatre Wing. And these seminars are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Thank you very, very much for being here.